This podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Diana, Texas. If you're in East Texas, you can gather with us on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. You can find more episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on our website, www.fbcdiana.org. Thanks for listening. As I said, it's a privilege to be with you. Um, before I uh, read our passage of Scripture, um, I just want to share with you a little bit, again, just as a way of reminder of who I am and uh, what, where, what, the ministry that I get to serve in my primary ministry. Uh, my family lives in Salado, Texas. My wife is over here, and she loves being introduced in public forums like this, as most pastors' wives do. Um, her name is Corey, and this is our youngest daughter, Ellie who also really relishes the light of public uh, introductions. So um, they're both here with me today. Our two older children uh, are right now on the road headed back to college uh, to their each different university. We met uh, this past, yesterday in Tyler uh, for sort of a family gathering that we had. And so they each drove in and the five of us were able to be together uh, along with some other family and friends. And so it was a privilege to get to be with you today here I serve with reaching and teaching uh, international ministries, and we're committed to establishing healthy churches uh, and um, developing disciples through biblical and theological education. And so we go into uh, a lot of different areas around the world to equip indigenous local pastors and church leaders to pursue biblical patterns, biblical principles for the sake of establishing healthy churches. So much like the transition your church has gone through in the last three or four years or however long it has been. I know it's been quite a journey uh, of renewing and returning to biblical principles for what a healthy church looks like. Um, this is some of what we've done in, uh, in our work with our missionaries who live on the field. I serve with a different branch of that in short-term ministry where we have an opportunity to go into remote areas around the world uh, to deliver biblical and theological education to pastors and church leaders who do not have access to seminary uh, or wonderful conferences like the one your pastor and I were at this week. And these men fumble about through the internet, not being able to discern between Joel Osteen uh, and uh, some other more sound teachings. And so they uh, are doing what they can to figure it out. So we use a system of nine different teaching courses to deliver uh, education to them in the, in the areas where they live. And we try to return to a training site three times a year for three years uh, in a one-week teaching period. So it allows the pastors from a region around the jungle, uh, the northern deserts of Mexico, uh, several villages in Africa, a variety of locations we go, to come out of the places where they are, to come into a concentrated uh, environment where we can train them and challenge them with God's Word so that these men can go back to their communities, teach God's Word well, uh, and help their churches move forward in healthy ways. It's very rewarding to spend a week walking through a simple book of the Bible with a group of pastors to hear them say, now I have another book of the Bible to take back to my people because now they understand it in a richer and deeper way. Approximately 85% of the pastors who serve in churches around the world do not have biblical and theological education. And so when influences like the prosperity gospel come into their communities, they're not always equipped to discern how to, how to guide their churches away from it. Many times they can they sniff that this is not right, but they don't have quite the biblical under, the, the understanding of Scripture to know how to respond biblically to some of these challenging influences. The prosperity gospel, liberation theology, a variety of these things that, that come and, and leak into their communities. And so the teaching that we try to provide to these pastors gives them a, 
biblical foundation on which to stand to know how to lead their churches in response to these influences and help their church members grow in healthy and biblical ways. So recently I've had opportunities to travel to Ouagadougou, uh, Burkina Faso, uh, which is a heavily Muslim country uh, in, in Western Africa. Uh, I attempted to go there in January and probably did not do a great job of conveying to your pastor how much I appreciated the new relationship I had with your church. When we came to Paris on our way to Burkina Faso, uh, as I stood there in the airport, I watched the monitor that is there in the loading areas, and they were showing a massive coup in the streets of Ouagadougou, which is the capital of Burkina Faso. And as I'm watching that scene, I received messages from our missionary contact there who said, please do not board the flight yet. And I thought, well, this all adds up very well that he is asking me not to board the flight because I'm watching on the TV the coup that's going on there. And so the brother that was with me, traveling with me to go and teach together, he and I sat down and began to pray. And he said, I'm willing to go if you are. And I thought, well, these men of faith are always a challenge to travel with. Um, I thought, I'm willing to get malaria, but I'm not willing to get shot at. And so we prayed together uh, and some time passed. We had a five hour layover. We'd be, we had time to process, think it through. Uh, the airlines had not yet canceled the flight. And so as we sat there and we prayed together and we talked it through, uh, I remembered that recently in January, I had been here with you all and you had great interest in the ministry. And I knew that I had received a message from your pastor that said, we'll be praying for you. So it was an image of this room that was in my mind, an image of a small Sunday school class of senior ladies at my own home church in Salado. Uh, the images of other folks I knew who were praying that we would have wisdom uh, about what to do. That gave me confidence to stand in that Paris airport and make a decision. Unfortunately, well, or fortunately, in God's providence, Air France canceled our flight to Ouagadougou and made our decision very simple. But I share that story with you to say that it's knowing that the brothers and sisters in Christ are praying uh, for wisdom, for, for care, for God to coordinate the events of the travel so that it is clear whether or not we should or should not pursue uh, I was able to go just recently uh, at the end of March to this training site and be with 28 brothers, 28 pastors from a variety of locations around that country. Several of these men are going to go back into heavily Muslim contexts where they face often face persecution, but they're going back well equipped with God's word. We spent a week with them teaching them about homiletics, how to prepare a sermon. And it was rich to watch these men open the Bibles during that week together and understand what it is to pull the truth out of Scripture. Uh, we taught with double translation. One man would translate for me into French, and then another man would translate from French into Mulray, into their African language. So some of the men were waiting to hear the translation in their own language, while others, who were very uh, understanding, heard the teaching three times. Uh, in African context like this, it's a very communal type of learning. And so it's not uncommon either for me to make a statement, translation, translation, and then conversation break out among the group to discern and decide which translation was the most accurate and what is the best truth of this. As a teacher, it's rather challenging because after several minutes of all of this translation and conversation, I'm trying to remember where are we trying to go in this class? But I realized two things. One, they wanted to understand. They wanted to get all they could out of this one week of teaching so they could go back to their, their, their village, their communities well-equipped. And two, they valued the God's word. They wanted to make sure that they were getting it right and, and, and finding the truth of God's word. So I was recently there 
um, at the end of 2021, was able to go to Belize to work with the Mopan people, who are the descendants of the Mayan Indians. Uh, and in June, hope to re- we will return there to begin training with this group of, uh, of descendants of the, of the Mayans in the south part of, of Belize. Uh, it'll be a fun time to walk them through Old Testament history. And we'll work hard to present the Old Testament as a storyline of what God did and has done to redeem mankind, starting with Genesis and showing them the fall uh, and then working through uh, in, in more of a chronological order than the 39 books in our canon. Uh, but walking them through the chronological story of what God has done to redeem mankind. On a previous trip, when we taught the Old Testament this way, a man stood up in the middle of the week and said, Oh, now I understand why these old prophets are so angry. The people of God were so disobedient. Uh, and he never understood that all of those 39 books are telling one continuous story. And so we get excited to teach these things. I was also recently in Dominican Republic, and we hope to start a training site there soon. Uh, in Chasuda, Peru, I believe I mentioned when I was here in, in December, I uh, was there in October. And as a, one of our training sites, uh, where five different indigenous people groups out of the, the Amazon side of Peru uh, come together. And again, we, we teach in Spanish, and then they break into groups and sort it out into their own uh, indigenous languages of Shawi, Quechua, Achuar, uh, and Kandoshi, and the different people who come together there. It's a variety of opportunities that we have to get to go and do these things. I want to make sure that I'm really clear with you, though. This is something that God has equipped and prepared me to do. I know that many churches get very nervous when the missionary comes to talk because they're afraid that I'm going to ask all of you to go with me to the jungle and eat fish for a week and teach God's word while we sweat and fight off mosquitoes and hope we don't get malaria. But that's not at all really what I hope to do. I simply want to share with you some of these stories today and share with you God's word to help you see the greatness of who our God is so that when we come together on Sunday mornings to worship him in the in in a beautiful sanctuary like this, we're aware that there are other people out there, other congregations who are celebrating the same salvation in Jesus Christ, guided by the same work of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the same God that we serve here in English and in our in the United States. So don't wrestle with that Scott wants you to go to one of these sweaty places uh, and, and, and suffer. If that is a wrestling that comes in your heart, may it be between you and the Holy Spirit and something that you can sort out with your pastor and your elders when I am, uh, have stepped away from this place. Today, I want to share with you from a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I apologize for the... Uh, it is not a misprint in your bulletin. Yesterday, I... Uh, was reading through things and preparing to uh, finalizing things. And I thought, I really want to share this message because it has a, a, a tone of, of thankfulness in it. And it matched the heart that I have for your church. So we will not read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I encourage you to read that at, at your own pace. But I want to share with us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I understand that it's common for you to stand as we read God's word, so I'd invite you to join and stand as we uh, read this passage together. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. I use the English Standard Version, and it reads this way. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, 
the word of God, which is at work in you as believers. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this Reformation hymn we just sang, which begins by reminding us of the truth of your word that should be preserved through the ages. The truth of your word, which you have preserved through the ages and continue to make clear to us today. We thank you for the clarity that's in your word. We thank you for the beautiful story that we find in reading through your word. So again, I ask, Father, that your spirit would lead us, that your spirit would speak well to us, that you would open our minds, that we would set our hearts before you to be guided and led from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Corey and I also have a privilege of leading a young adult Sunday school class in our church and We've recently been teaching through the book of First Thessalonians. But I love this passage because it expresses Paul's thankfulness for a body of Christ. He's saying to them that I am thankful uh, that God has. Uh, I am. Uh, we also thank God constantly for this. He's thankful for something that has gone on in this church in Thessalonica. He's thankful for something that happened among these people. He's thankful that they received the word of God. We're, we also thank God constantly for this, that this points us back earlier in this chapter to uh, his explanation and his, and his um, uh, statements to them about how they had received the word of God. If we were to read back through chapter one and even through the early parts of this uh, chapter two, we see that he keeps pointing, that, calling them out and helping them to see how it was God's word declared among them uh, that had an impact on them. If we really want to understand the depth of this story, we could go all the way back into Acts chapter 17. When Paul came into Thessalonica, an interesting thing happened. He came into this small town and did his normal practice of going into the synagogue and preaching the, 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 that the Messiah had in fact come hoping to persuade and help the, the uh, Jewish folks understand that what they were waiting for had been completed. Uh, it bore some fruit. Some folks, it says in Acts 17, believed and followed him. We don't know exactly how long he stayed in that town, but he stayed there long enough that other people outside of that Jewish community began to hear this gospel message. And their lives were also changed by Jesus Christ. So something began to happen as often happened in Paul's journeys, many people came to know Christ and their lives began to look different than they did before. They came under this truth of, of scripture uh, and they began to live in a different sort of way. Now in Acts chapter 17, it, can tell, it continues to tell this story uh, that uh, some of the Jewish folks got a little, became a little perturbed uh, that these believers were living in a different sort of way. And so the Jewish folks did what they did back in the times of Christ himself. And they went and it says they found some rowdy guys and they kind of stirred up the crowds. And the crowds went around and began to say bad things about Paul and these folks who were following Jesus. Simply because their life looks different or looked differently than the other lives of the people in the community. So they were scared of something that looks different because of Christ's work in their life. Uh, they were uncomfortable with the threat against their Jewish faith, um, or they simply did not like what was going on in their small town of security. So they 
routed up these folks. And in fact, they came after Paul and his people. And we get introduced to a really unique guy named Jason in this story. He had allowed Paul and some of his, his, his group, his, his, his co-travelers, to stay in his house. And these Jewish people come to, 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 to the house of Jason, and they're, they're pretty upset. They want Paul, uh, and they, they, they want to get rid of him, maybe abuse him, at least maybe give him a good shout, whatever it was in their culture. But they wanted him out of there because they said his teaching had turned the world upside down. And I think what a beautiful accusation against a gospel presentation We don't like you because you have turned our world upside down. I'm not going to spend a long time on that, but I'm going to trust that because of what I know of the teaching and the preaching that you receive here. When a person comes to Christ, their world really is upside down. So we cannot even really say that it was a false accusation against Paul and his brothers. Paul probably swelled with a bit of spiritual pride to say, (laughs) that's right. We did turn this world upside down by his grace and for his glory. We did. But the Jewish people in the community were so uh, animus. They were so angry against them that it came to the point that Jason, whoever this poor brother is, pays some sort of fine uh, to get the Jewish folks to leave him alone. And then Paul and his his band head on their way under the cover of darkness. So there's an opposition against this church that's established in Thessalonica. But yet there's some sort of conviction among this church in Thessalonica that allows them to continue to grow and prosper as a body of Christ. We know that because when this opposition came against it in Acts 17, sometime later, Paul is able to write back to the church and say these super encouraging things to them. In the first few verses of chapter 1, and even here in chapter 2, he talks of how this church in Thessalonica has become an example, not only in their county, but in the region of Macedonia, which was a large area. So this small church of the gospel has endured the persecution from within their community, and they've become a gospel example on a grander scale. And so one asks, what happened to these people? What got into them? When we come to 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we see that Paul is expressing what got into them. He says, it is, the, it is God's word which is at work in you as believers. And I thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you accepted it not as a word from men, but what it really is, the word of God. And so Paul is excited That after this time of endurance, this church stood on the bedrock foundation of the truth of the gospel and whatever word of God they had available to them. Whether it was the Old Testament prophets, the Psalms, in other places we see in Paul's writing, he, he mentions these things. They had God's word as a foundation for who they were as a church. It's a beautiful picture of what it is to, uh, uh, to have this, uh, this foundation. And Paul says, I am thankful for that among you. Uh, <clears throat> earlier in this uh, passage, he refers back to uh, that it was not with the words of flattery. It's not with uh, any of these sorts of things. 
But we presented to you uh, God's word in a plain and clear way. You see, Paul was motivated by love from God for the people of Thessalonica. He was motivated to to share with them. He didn't let their tendencies or their sinfulness or those things uh, be a bother to him or, or a stumbling or a challenge to him. He was motivated by love to continue to present the gospel to them uh, and share it with them well. Earlier in this chapter two, uh, he says in verse eight, so affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. It's a verse that just reveals his heart, not only as a missionary, but as a pastor. What two things does a pastor get to do among his congregation that are greater than this? I've invested my life in you. I've shared myself with you. I've come to your houses. I've eaten your food. I've sit. I have sat with you. But also in all of those adventures and all of those endeavors, I have made uh, effort to make known to you the gospel. Paul made that effort and the effort paid off so that these years later he can say, I thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you uh, which you heard from us, you accepted it uh, was what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you as believers. He's a um, he recognized Paul recognized the powerful truth of God's word and this body of Christ in Thessalonica recognized it. Remember, uh, or maybe you remember, his visit was a bit of a surprise to Thessalonica. He'd gone there sort of, um, I mean, you know, there was no missions agency that sent him there. Uh, There was no missionary on the ground waiting for him. It was basically what we would think of as a cold call, a cold turkey show up and and begin preaching. It was a very ambitious endeavor that he made. Uh, It was was unexpected among that community. uh, And he was uncertain of what what his actual impact would have. Yet when he came and stood firm on the truth of God's word, it's the accusation against him was these men have turned the world upside down who have come here. They didn't take time to do a lot of cultural background research like we're able to do today. You know, in a missions organization like where where I'm able to serve today, we're able to do a lot of research on some of these cultures. Uh, There are a variety of cultural experiences I've had um, where where we're constantly trying to not culturally offend people. Um, I was in a, among a, a people group in a, um, <clears throat> in the jungle, in, in the Amazon, in Peru, actually. And their main dish was fish. And they kept bringing us fish to eat because we were right along rivers. And it was very accessible. There was food everywhere. And, and I was there with a Peruvian pastor and another brother from the United States, another American missionary. We both speak Spanish fluently, and so the conversations were simple. But sometimes the cultural norms were challenging. Uh, and in this time of eating this fish, uh, we were picking through all of these tiny bones. And I'm trying to think I'm an American, and I want to look, you know, presentable, not slurping and sucking on the bones and making gross sounds or anything, but just trying to be as kind as I can. But the fish is in a broth. There's no fork. There's no spoons. And so you pretty much just have your fingers uh, which you've, you know, have been with you all day in a sweaty jungle um, to eat with. And you're doing all that you can to be, you know, respectable. Uh, Jairo, who's this, the, the Peruvian pastor who, who took us there, he has no 
problem at all. He's the kind of guy who would lick the back of his spoon, dip it in the bowl of salt, and then use that to salt his fish. And he slurps and sucks through everything. The other American with me was being just as gentle and careful as I was. And I finally came to a point of realizing at some point we have to begin teaching these people. And the pace I'm on at eating this fish, it's going to be noon before I finish my breakfast. And I just dove into that fish the way I watched Hiro. I figure he's the norm. I'll follow his lead. All but eating the head, I did the way he did. Just sucking bones and just slurping through the thing. It was good. Um, I learned a lot. I won't spare, I won't tell you all of that experience. But my point being that we dug into that, uh, the way that I dug into it, the way he did. Well, as the week went on, Tony, the American with me, realized he just couldn't eat fish for breakfast anymore. And so they brought him a bowl that was this big, just piled with rice, and it had six hard-boiled eggs on top. And I told him, I said, brother, that's all the eggs from one chicken for the day. You better eat all of those. That is a protein load right there. That's like a Pastor Mark kind of breakfast, six boiled eggs, you know. What happened to me was very different. As the ladies asked Pastor Jairo, what should we be the other gringo? He says, oh, él es buen misionero. Es buen misionero. He said, he's a very good missionary. Just keep giving him fish. Uh, because he had seen me slurp through that thing the way he had done. And so there was no chance to sort of figure out their cultural norms before we got there. I can tell you that story. My wife is cringing because she's afraid I'll just keep telling you more stories about the weird things I've had to eat on some of these trips. Um, I won't, though. Um, if, if you want to ask afterwards, though, you can ask. But um, like the armadillo would be a whole nother experience that I was served. Um, but they're cultural norms. Paul didn't have the chance to do some of this background cultural research. He shows up into these contexts and he shows up on the, on the firm foundation, the, 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 the conviction and a trust that it is the truth of God's word that is going to affect and impact these people. Now, before we go to any region of the world to establish a training site, we do what's called a preview trip. Those are some of my favorite because they're the most adventurous. You don't have any idea where you're going to sleep and always who's going to pick you up. But it allows us an opportunity to learn some of the logistics necessary to accomplish our mission. But the more significant part of it is that every time we do a preview trip, what we start with is is basically a doctrine of Scripture. We lay out for the brothers and the pastors who we'll meet with what God's Word is about. How we receive God's Word through through inspiration. Uh, We review a lot of the passages of Scripture that talk about the inspiration and truth of Scripture. Why is this important? Because it sets God's word as the foundation for everything we will do from there going forward. Some of these pastors come to the training thinking, we want their church to look like our church. We want them to sing, it is well with my soul, like we sing in our church. And we have to keep reminding them, no, the idea is to go to God's word as the foundation. You can sing whatever you want to sing. When I go to Haiti, their worship services are extremely different than what what we've just experienced here. I said to the translator, what is the next part of the service? He said to me, oh, the next part, they will play some music and we will dance. I said, hey, brother, I don't dance. He said to me, what do you mean you do not dance? They play the the music and you just let your body move. I said, okay, I think I understand. (laughs) Um, So they have different cultural norms. But what was at the foundation of the singing and what motivated the movement? It was the message of Jesus Christ and it was the truth of God's word. I come back to the story of Paul. He comes pointing to this church uh, in Thessalonica and he says, what you what I am thankful for 
is that it is God's word which you have, which motivated you, which moved you, and on that foundation you continue to stand. And he's able to continue writing through this letter, pointing them back to that truth of what it is to live that out in a daily sort of way. So regardless of where we go, God's word is that truth which points us to knowing him through his son, Jesus Christ. This church in Thessalonica was drawn by the power of the spirit and the powerful teaching of the word. First Thessalonians 1 5, it tells us and reminds us of that because the gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. These people responded with a conviction of the truth of what God's word is. And then this simple verse ends with this little phrase, which I love and I want to encourage us with today. The simple phrase at the end of this verse is the word of God is at work in the people. The word of God is at work in the people. He gives this statement of thanksgiving. We thank God for this, that God's word and you received and that it was not like you received as a word from man, but what it really is, the word of God. And it concludes by saying, which is currently at work in you as believers. And what a beautiful picture this is and a testimony of a church that Paul can say, man, it's not just that you're following the norms of the routines and putting on your Sunday morning outfit and going through the patterns, but God's word is at work in you. It is what is guiding you. It is what has helped your church to grow. It is what has uh, caused you as individuals to grow. Uh, it is what is uh, leading you. Uh, you know, some folks think of it as sort of a roadmap of life. Whatever it is, Paul is recognizing that it is still at work in the, in the believers at the church of Thessalonica. It's so apparent that, that Paul recognizes this. He writes them two letters uh, that span over uh, you know, a season of, of years of his life. He encourages them in their faith in both letters. And he thanks them and is thankful for their faith in both of these letters. He points out that they're an example, uh, as I've mentioned earlier, across a broad region. Uh, to other groups of churches. You know, there are a variety of issues that challenge and push against the church. Sometimes there are internal challenges within the church. We forget that we are a body of Christ, each gifted differently. And there are those folks who are wired administratively and, and maybe think more about the finances and the, uh, the structure of things. And there are those people who are wired more towards serving and giving. And they're happy to give away all of those finances to a community that has great need. Uh, recently, we as a church met to figure out how we could offer some support to the folks in Ukraine who are suffering right now. And once we established a plan and some organi organizations that were trustworthy through which we could send some funds to help uh, provide some relief in, in the Ukraine... Another brother said, I think we should go through the entire budget and see what's not being spent and send that too. They need it more than us. And I thought, holy smokes, what this is a brother who's at one end of the, of the spectrum. Because a whole another group of people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a budget for a reason. But it's the body of Christ coming together, recognizing the value of the generous heart and the value of those who think, uh, think well about our structures. There are challenges that sometimes come within our church. But God has brought us together to seek him together, to be guided by his spirit together and to go back to his word for those principles of truth, which help us in those decisions. I think sometimes our churches get distracted. Maybe your church is simple, but we get distracted on what we should do on a Sunday morning. 
Should we have coffee? Should we not have coffee? Should we have flavored coffee? Or should we not have flavored coffee? Well, if we have coffee, we should also have a hot water pot because I drink tea. Well, if we have tea, now we need honey because honey goes well with tea. And then if we have coffee, should we also have donuts? And people, we go, whoa, where's the guy who's going to lead the Sunday school lesson? We've got a whole committee designed to build up our coffee bar and we failed to prepare our folks to come for God's word. The coffee will be at work in us for about two hours. You know, 45 milligrams of caffeine and a cup of coffee only lasts for about two hours of your life. But when we allow God's word to be at work in us, it's a continual, gradual, and constant changing of life that we have. Now, please don't hear me saying you shouldn't serve coffee at church. Um, I don't have a problem with it at all. just want to make sure it's a clear contrast to the lasting effect of God's word being at work in us. You see, there are things that constantly pull against our churches. There are things from outside the church that distract us and pull on us and make us wonder and, and question, or what is what we're doing the right thing to do? Is there, are there other ways that we should be doing these things in order to attract the people of, of Diana into our building? But we go back to God's word as that firm foundation. Allow it to work in us. Allow the truth of the gospel, which we declare to be that which changes people's lives and to keep our focus on the truth of God's word. The enemy is at work around us, wanting to distract us, trip us, and pull us away. And we should not lose our focus and our understanding of what it is to be guided uh, by God's word. I want to kind of uh, transition a bit and then in, in, in an effort to encourage you as a church, uh, share with you some of the different characters, uh, folks that I've met in some of my travels who and who blow me away and just encourage me in, in what we do. I've mentioned a few times this morning my trip to Chasuda, Peru, which is uh, in the north part of the country uh, in, the, in, the re- in the Amazon region. Uh, one of the training sessions I was there uh, a while back, there was a 67-year-old man who completed our nine-module training over three years. Uh, this man had been serving as a pastor in, in, in Chasuda, which is sort of an established town there uh, on the edge of, of a lot of the smaller villages that go out. And at 65 or 66, which is a real bell ringer of a year in, for, in our culture, uh, at this age, the man decided to sell all of his property uh, and leave Chasuda, which again, you know, there's cell service, running water, all of these types of things. At 65 or 66, he sold everything and they went to a small community uh, and basically started all over. And I heard the story of this man and I thought, you just went through three years of, of study and training uh, at a year when in my culture, you're looking to wind everything down so that you can go to the beach, so that you can get you a, a mobile home or whatever you would do when you retire. Um, I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. But, you know, for us, that's a different stage of life. But at that stage of life, this man took a completely different turn. He went to a small community and took on a church that had once been a thriving church, had dwindled down to about three families and went there and put his confidence in preaching and teaching God's word and initially began investing in three men in that in that community and teaching them the truth of God's word and watch those three men begin to take leadership in his church. And over the course of two years, he took that from those four families to a congregation of about 50 uh, at, at a stage of life when many of us would be looking to to wrap it up and sit back and retire. His story is filled with all kinds of intriguing things. His children even confronted him and said, Dad, what are you doing? 
what's going on? You're going out there. You have to have your own garden. And, and there's so many things you're going to have to do. But why did he do it? He did it out of a conviction of the truth uh, of God's word. Uh, there was a pastor in, in northern part of Haiti that, that I visited with. Uh, and he understood God's word in a way that many of the pastors in his area did not understand it. They gathered his churches and they felt that the most important thing was how much, how loud can we sing and how animated can we be in our worship? It's a very important part of the Caribbean culture, uh, the, the motivation and animation of, of what they do uh, in, in, in their services. But this pastor Martel, he had come under a greater conviction of the truth of God's word and had a desire to see the churches around him practice and preach more biblical things. He didn't understand all of theology himself, but he knew enough to know that God's word is a guiding light to what we are as a church. So I met with this pastor and uh, sat with him in his home and shared with him the vision of what we desire to do through reaching and teaching and providing biblical and theological education to give a greater foundation, a biblical foundation. He, with tears in his eyes, leaned across the table and said, I am so thankful that you are here. For years, we've been praying that someone would bring this type of teaching to our area. And when we returned, they had to cap the class at 40 students. Uh, the so many people that he had leadership stock with were interested in being a part. And it's still one of my favorite sites to go and teach at in Haiti. You can pray for that country. They have incredible political unrest right now be, uh, since a past summer when their president was assassinated. Uh, we haven't been able to return there for a year. But the heart of Pastor Martel was there's more in God's word than I understand. And I want somebody to help me unpack it. And I'm looking at churches around me. They're not the churches of Thessalonica that I'm thankful for. They're churches that are off track, going the wrong direction, teaching the wrong things. And I have great confidence that what's going to get them on the right path is some sound teaching of God's word. So, yes, please come and be with us and feed us and encourage us. I could give you several others when, uh, from, around the, uh, from around different regions uh, of men who have this conviction to see God's word taught well uh, in their regions. There's another brother in uh, northern Mexico, uh, just across the border here, uh, south of Texas, uh, is a large indigenous people group called the Tarumara Indians. If any of you are distance runners, uh, that name may mean something to you. They've been researched for their incredible endurance for running long distances, 60 miles and more uh, in, one, in one continuous run. Um, but the, uh, they're, they're a group of, uh, we've had an opportunity to work among that people group. Uh, there's two stories that come to mind. I'll share one short one with you. There was a young man there about 20 years old. And most of us, I don't know, maybe you're a bit further north in Texas, but closer to where I live. When you meet a 20-year-old man in Mexico who lives near the border, a natural question to ask him is, A, have you ever been to the United States? B, do you want to come to the United States? And so in meeting this young man who was gifted in music and playing the guitar, we were just having a conversation. I asked this 20-something-year-old guy, are you interested in coming to the United States? Part of my fear was that he would say yes and want to come with me, but I was just trying to have a conversation with him. But his response struck me well. He said to me back, why would I go to the United States? Well, he humbled my American pride pretty quickly. And I said, ah, you tell me what your options are. He said, I cannot go to the United States. He said, there are other Raramuri or other Taramara communities over this way who still don't have the gospel. And I thought, what an impressive thing. 
He said, I want to take my guitar and take my music and go over there and continue to share the good news with these other communities. And it reminded me of another example of here's a man grounded in the truth of God's word who has a conviction about its truth and wants to commit his life to doing that. How narrow-minded I was to think that he would want to come to our country of, of luxury and comforts. But his conviction of God's word was, no, I need to go and take the same truth to other places. Oh, I could tell you more and more stories. They make me so excited to see when I travel. In fact, I keep one notebook with me as I travel. And then some of those pages, I just have a list of names of, of pastors that intrigues me. How when we get to go to these places, whether it's an Igu, a Moises, an Alfonso, a Jairo, uh, a Nebye, uh, whatever these different men are, that God puts them in these communities with this conviction of the truth of God's word. And these men in the similar pattern of this work in Thessalonica are being an example in their Macedonia. And they're impacting churches and leaders with the truth of God's word. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when we let God's work be at work in us. So to wrap this up, I would just encourage you and ask you, as individuals and as a church, what is at work in you? The simple verse ends with that phrase, which I see is at work in you as believers. Do you make yourself available to God's word? Is it a source that you go to for direction and wisdom in life? Even in this land of plenty and comfort of the United States, we're constantly faced with difficult decisions. And probably because of the development of our country, we're faced with more complex decisions than so many other countries. Folks often ask me, why do we not see some of the problems in the United States that we see in these other countries? And I always tell them it's because we have more money to cover up our problems than these other more basic countries. They can't hide their problems. They don't have the money to cover it up. We have the luxury and the ability to cover them up, but we should continue to go back to God's word for the wisdom and the direction and the security of what it is to follow him. To continue to rehearse the truths of scriptures to remind us of our salvation in Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you once again, what is at work in you as a church? Do you make yourself as individuals available to God's word in your life? For as each of us as individuals make ourselves available to God's work in our life, that means that God's word is at work in our church. And it means that God's word can be at work around our region. So allow God's word to be at work in you. I want to encourage you as a, in this conclusion part. Going into God's word and studying it um, and, and using it as a guide in our prayers. I want to encourage you to pray God's word. Uh, pray or pray that the God word of God. Sorry, pray that the word of God and you can pray God's word also. But pray that the word of God would be at work among your staff. And I use that word generally. I recognize that you use this an elder uh, led church. But to be praying, there to be God's word that guides Pastor Mark and your other elders as they meet. Be praying for them that God's word would affect the, the, the direction they lead your church. Uh, pray, pray that God's word would be what, uh, what lights their path and, and guides the steps that they lead this church to take. Pray that it will be God's word in him that leads and fuels his ministry. I know in our personal, in our home church, we spend a good season just praying God, restore the preaching of our pastor to your word. Awaken his heart to reveal the truth of your word to us. And it's exciting to see what God does when we pray these types of things for our leaders and our staff. I would encourage you to pray that God's word would be at work in you. 
Make yourself available to God's word and find a pattern of in taking it in on a, on a daily basis, on a, a regular basis. Um, there's a brother in our, in our church who tells me often, I listen to the Bible and I pray while I'm driving to work. He has a long commute. And I said, man, I hope I never see you while I'm on my morning run if you're praying while you're driving. And we have this ongoing thing about how he prays with his eyes open. And I have an ongoing thing with him. How I'm still not going to run on a road where he's driving. But finding a pattern of allowing God's word to come into your life. And letting it be what leads you and prepares you and guides you. It's easy to worship and love God simply uh, in different places. Because there's not many distractions. There's not lights. There's not backdrops. There's not a conversation about music. But when God's word guides us in our home church. It helps us to come together with brothers and sisters who may be a different, represent a different uh, gifting and from a different part of the body of Christ. But it unites us in the truth of his word. And again, this final phrase, it just says, which is at work in you as believers. It may be that you're here today <clears throat> and you may not be a believer. And I would encourage you to seek out the leadership of this church to understand what it is to be accounted among those who are the believers. Maybe you've been here several times and you've heard the preaching about God's word and the talk about what it is to have a relationship with Christ. And maybe it's time that you make yourself available to what the Lord is doing in your life to understand that personal relationship with Christ. So church, pray that the word of God would be at work in your staff. Pray that the word of God would be at work among you and make yourself available that God's word would be at work among you as believers. I want to pray for you and thank you again for allowing me this opportunity to be with you today. We trust that this message edified the listener and glorified the God who shows love and mercy to sinners in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son. Would you take a moment to leave a positive rating for us on your podcast app? You'll be helping others find this episode and more like it. If you'd like more information about First Baptist Diana, then please visit our website, www.fbcdiana.org.